You're listening to the Desperation Podcast, a generation in desperate pursuit of God. www.desperationonline.com. How many of you guys were at home a number of weeks ago? <laughs> that was a power encounter with the living God. Man, it's awesome. Um, well, as you know, in this series, Simply Remain Here, we're talking about remaining in the vine and we're talking about uh, remaining to the power, remaining connected to the power source who is Jesus. And when we look at this idea, I am the vine and you are the branches, if a man remains in me, he must bear much fruit. This whole idea that when you look at a vine, you've got the vine and the vine is where the action's at. The vine is where the juice is at. The vine is where the life is flowing, right? And when you look at the branch and the vine, the branch is literally has the same stuff flowing through it that's in the vine. Are you with me? And so Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. That means that the God stuff that's in God, the, the thing that makes God God, I mean his character, his power, his spirit, his life. When you say yes to Jesus and you say, I'm going to be a Christian, I'm going to give him everything. That means that you have the potential to be the conduit, to be the branch, to be the person that's got the same stuff that God's got inside of you. Are you with me? Say, I'm a branch. Say, I've got fruit. He is the vine. I'm a branch. He's the vine. I'm a branch. Are you a branch? Is he the vine? All right, so so you've got the God of the ages, and he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. And what I want to talk to you about tonight is it's not so much chapter, uh, verse 1 through verse 8. That's kind of where you've been, all right? But I want to go a little bit further here. So I'm going to pick up with where you've been. And I'm going to pick up, let's start in verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. A lot of times that's kind of where we stop when when it comes to this vine and branch talk. But I want you to get verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. In my own journey, when I look at following Jesus and when I look at actually having the power encounter uh, with, with God and bearing much fruit, being obedient, you know, doing the things that God's called me to do, maybe that's through prayer, maybe that's through holiness, maybe that's through evangelism, maybe that's through missions, maybe that's through repentance, whatever it might be. I know for me, there's the, the, the command that says bear fruit or stay connected, but this verse nine idea is to me the overarching core, the way that we stay motivated to remain. The way that we stay motivated to stay connected to God. It's this simple idea. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, now remain in my love. Tonight I want to talk about one thing, remaining in his love. In order to be the person that sees the power of God, in order to be the person that maybe starts a group or, or, or reaches your campus or whatever it might be, living in the power of the knowledge of the Father's affection, living in the knowledge of how much God loves us, God delights in you. It's the idea that most of us know pretty well. I mean, the sense that we've heard it a lot. Heard it since we were a kid. Everybody sing with me. You ready? 
Yes, stand to your feet. Here we go. You know it well. Sing it at the top of your voice. If you sing it quietly, you fail. One, two, three. Jesus loves me. Come on. Sing it like you know it. Yeah, yeah. Now's the good part. Hit this one hard. Yes. Now here's the cute part. Good, you can be seated. Good job. We can all sing that song. We know that song. It's a, it's a, it's a simple idea. But when you walk out of this room tonight, I don't want it to be just the song that you sang. I don't want it to be just a kind of a concept that you know with your mind. But I want it to be a living reality. Say living reality. And not only that, but a pursuit of study for the rest of your days. One of the things that I've noticed when I, I, I hang out with college kids a lot. and So many of them think that, you know, they're cool now. They're 20 years old. And now they can do what they want. And they're free from mom and dad. And they moved halfway across the country to pray a lot. So yeah, dude, I, I, got, I got the love thing. I mean, I, I heard, you know, Jesus loved me since I was a kid. I, I know that. Where do we go from there? Let's move on to the big stuff. Come on, let's move on to the power encounter. Let's, let's move on to global evangelization in our generation. Let's move on to some big topic. Let's move on. Come on, God loves me talk. That's like elementary. But if I, if I could get anything in your head tonight, but really in your heart, it's this idea. Your pursuit of encountering and knowing the love of God does not ever end. It's a daily encounter. It's a daily reality. And it's not something that can be measured intellectually. It's, there's a level of reality where you encounter and you experience the love of God. Where it goes beyond some head knowledge. But it's heart knowledge. It goes beyond even what you can articulate. John Wesley said, my heart was strangely warmed. It was this, and he he tries to put words to it. And when you read some of the old guys, you know, the dead guys that wrote about encounters with God, they all try to put words. We have even in the old, like, you know, Pentecostal movements or in the old prayer movements or when you read church history, you have people and they try to put language to this encountering the living God, this encountering how... God feels about that, how God loves them. And they're, they're so moved, they're like, words can't express it. express it. It's so unfathomable, it's so incredible, I can't even say it. And so we sing songs about it. You know, Jared Anderson writes, you know, Lord, I'm amazed by you, how you love me. That's the way he says it, right? Different people say it different ways, but what I want is for you to begin to articulate the way that you talk about God's love over you. You know, Zephaniah 3.17 says that he sings a song over you. Interesting. God the singer, what does he sound like? God sing like who? I mean, how do you picture God singing? I want you to imagine this. Sometimes, I I know when I first heard that verse and I was probably 19, I remember highlighting that verse and thinking it was kind of cool, you know, and I kind of pictured God singing over humanity. 
But I want you to get not God singing over humanity, but God, if he knows every hair on your head, he knows every tear that you cry. He actually, it says, the scripture says that every tear you cry, he collects in his bottle. It says that every prayer that you pray, every lament, he writes in his book. He knows you so well. I, I'll bet one day we'll stand before God and you go to the jukebox in heaven and it is not one song that he sings. He's got a song over your life. He's got a song over your heart. He's got a song over you. What is he singing about you? <laughs> what could it be? I want you to lock in with a God that loves you specifically. I want you to make, kind of develop a study of what does God's love really look like? How much? How much does he love me? And I'll tell you this, you will be committed to bearing fruit. You'll be committed Jesus goes on and says, the way, you sh- the way that you demonstrate that you love me is that you're obedient. A lot of us, what we do is we say, okay, I'm gonna prove to God that I love him and I'm gonna be obedient. But we're not remaining in the knowledge of his love. We're gonna be, I'm gonna be obedient, I'm gonna prove that I'm connected. John 59, I'm gonna prove it, be obedient. But I'll tell you this, the way that you'll live a lifestyle where you desire to spend hours alone with God every day where you want to sacrifice your dollars, where you you want your children to know him, where you want the gospel to go around the world, be that by money you give or be that by you going, but where you are compelled. That's what 1 Corinthians says. Christ's love compels me. The way that you're going to get that is not a commitment to be obedient only. It's by losing yourself in the knowledge of God's love, becoming a student of God's love. And tonight, I just want to be like a guy that just takes a baseball bat and just beats you over the head over and over again with how much he loves you. That's kind of brutal, but it's real. I want you to walk out of here and just be like, my goodness. It's not a concept. It's not just a religious theory. But it's the God of the ages that really Likes me individually, really loves me. Romans chapter two, verse four. Turn with me there if you've got your Bibles. It's an interesting verse. Paul speaking here to the church in Rome and he says this, he goes, he goes um, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance and patience, not realizing that, and here it is, highlight this in your Bibles. God's kindness leads you toward repentance. It's his kindness. I don't, know, I don't know how many preachers I've heard where the primary way that they wanted to get people to repent is to come down and look at him and say, man, you crazy, pathetic slug. Don't you know how holy God is? You better repent. Ah! And you're like, whoa. All right. That's good. I, I, li- I like that. I like, I like looking at, man, God's holy. And dude, I better repent. And whoa, I like that. Or you got other people and they'll say, hey, don't you know? You give your life to God and your life will get better. True statement, true statement. So repent. It's a good one. But I'll tell you this. Over the long term, someone's saying, he's holy, you're not, and you better. What I've found is very few people over 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years go with that motivation. That's, that's, that's my, my whole, I'm in. Okay, or, 
hey, your life's going to be better, you know, if you just come to say this little prayer, then God's going to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise, and tall, you know, and if you'll just, if you'll pray this prayer. You know, it's true. When we come to Jesus, God does change our lives, and he makes our lives a lot better, but Romans 2, 4 says, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance, and I'll tell you this, the way for long-lasting fruit, the John 15 fruit, the I am the vine, you are the branches, you're gonna bear fruit if you're remaining in me, remain in my love, is not a secondary way, it's this one. The number one way is that you get, remember it, it's the verse you know really well, John three sixteen. for God so, say it, loved the world. The number one way we're motivated to be extravagant in our pursuit of God the number one way that we're motivated to be obedient to Jesus until death, the number one way that we'll follow Jesus no matter what he calls us to, no matter what he tells us to do, it is, oh, I love, hey, he's holy, repent, you crazy sucker. I like that, that's fine, that works for me. I like, hey, hey, give your life to God and he'll make your life better, that's great, that's fine. I like, hey, we've got a job to do, we need some workers to go and bring in the harvest, let's go get the job done, come to Jesus, repent, let's go, let's go. I like all those things, but I'll tell you, those things alone do not have the staying power that you getting connected to the power of the living God that you go, whoa, his kindness leads me to repentance. I've seen his love for his love for me is real. His love for me is true. And whoa, John 3, 16, he loved the world so much that he became a man. He died on a cross that I might have life. Thank you, God. You love me. The number one way to get obedience is the knowledge of the affection of our Father. Number one way. The number one way was staying power, day in and day out. You can ask, go to the nursing homes and find the little old ladies that have loved God for 70 years. Find them and start talking to them. They won't look at you and be like, you know, I gave my life to Jesus and my life just got better. They will not do it. What they'll say is little tears will come down their cheeks and they'll be like, they'll talk about how God loves them. That's the thing that motivates them. You talk to preachers that have traveled the world. You talk to missionaries. And there is a great motivation for, you know, evangelism and missions or that God blessed them or blessed them materialistic, all those things. And I'm not discrediting, I'm not saying those things don't exist. They do exist. But I believe that right here, we get the core, the way that we come back day after day and go, oh God, you're big and I want to follow you and I love you. It's, your, it's his kindness the attribute of God that most shakes the human soul, that most shakes our heart, that most causes our hearts to come alive, to be strangely, strangely warmed, Luke 24, to burn within us. He likes and loves and delights in poor, pathetic me, but he loves me. I've hung out with so many that kind of gave up on that. You know, they kind of said, well... I don't know, maybe God's mean or maybe God's given up on me. Let me read to you about the prophecy that said of Jesus by Matthew, Matthew chapter 12, verse 20. It's powerful. He says this, it's speaking, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a prophecy about Jesus. Matthew chapter 12, verse 20, it says, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. You say, 
yeah, I mean, I'm got a little bit of passion. Been obedient a little bit before, but stepped into sexual immorality and I've given in to, I don't know, stealing, cheating, name your thing, arrogance, slander. And so I don't know, I don't, God's probably just so irritated with me that, you know, I don't know, he's probably just kind of bugged by me. This says a bruised reed. Some of you are bruised. Some of you, you're hurt. And for whatever circumstance that's taken place in your life, you've experienced pain. and think maybe God wants to just kind of cast you aside or God's irritated because you're not one of the kids that's on stage wearing the t-shirt, jumping up and down. You're not the kid that is the model student at TAG. So God's probably a little bit annoyed, frustrated, irritated, maybe even bugged by you. And it says this about Jesus that a bruised reed, you know? We, I, we took the furnace to Israel last March. And I just imagine, you know, they're writing and they're saying, you know, these reeds here that when, it's, when someone would step on them, the, he's not gonna, the bruised ones, the broken ones, he, Jesus isn't the guy that, Goes, oh yeah, forget it, it's bruised. Just throw it out of the way. It's no good to me. No, Jesus is in the restoration business where, where he wants to do is come down and take the bruised reed, take the broken heart, take the wounded 16-year-old. Say, here, let me make you whole again. You know, back then the way that they had got lights was through, you know, candles or through lamps and it was just a wick and when the when when the wick started to you know fade out you know like be gone it wasn't like he was saying a smoldering wick a wick that's just got a little bit of fire just barely 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 got barely going barely lit that he's not the god that goes pathetic wick no he's the one that goes i'm not gonna snuff that out I see that little cry in your heart to come after me. I know the mess you're in. I know the pain you're experiencing. I know what you did last night. I know your immorality. I know your fear. I know your pride. I know. But see that little tiny fire that's still going? That's because you know deep in your core that I'm God and that I'm big, that I'm Lord. And the kindness that's in me, even though you've fallen short a thousand times, I know that it's my kindness that ultimately is gonna woo you. It's ultimately my kindness that's gonna win your heart. So here, let me keep it lit. I'm not gonna crush a bruised reed. I'm not gonna stuff out a smoldering wick. That's the opposite. Everything within me wants to see you whole. Everything within me wants to restore you. It's his kindness that's gonna lead you to repentance. It's his kindness that's gonna cause you to want to remain in his love. Oh, I love the cause. Man, I love every night. I like, I like prayer meetings every night in the furnace. I like going on missions trips all over the world. I like trying to mobilize as many kids from across the world as we can get. I mean, I like doing the stuff. I love, I love the ministry stuff. I'm not putting that down. But you know what? 
pales in comparison to what burns and causes this thing to come alive is he loves me. His kindness is real. Tonight, I want you to get his kindness will lead you to repentance. There may be 10,000 preachers that create 10,000 different sermons to try to get you to say, give your life to Christ. We got a harvest. We got a job to do. If you come to Jesus, your life will be better. He's worth it, so stop sinning, you pathetic slug. All those things are true, but I'll tell you this. I believe according to the scriptures, there's one way that will motivate you far more than those. It's the knowledge of the love of your father. That's gonna woo you. Because in the dark night, in the, in the, in the tough times, when all of a sudden... Ministry doesn't go so well, or the great harvest isn't happening, or your life didn't get better than you thought, or you don't even sense his presence. The truth of a God that loves you remains, and it moves you. We love to know. We're moved by kindness. It's the way that it is. When you imagine the God with infinite kindness, that's going to move your heart. It's going to move you. And the thing is, is that the great thing about kindness is that he moved towards you first. He, you, know, you know that scripture, right? He loved you first, right? We love him because he first loved us. And no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter how messed up you are, no matter how pathetic you are, no matter how much you cheat, no matter how much you hate your parents, no matter how pathetic you are, there is the truth of the gospel where if you will just kind of open up your arms to him and say, take me, Father. I receive your loving kindness. I want your loving kindness. He will embrace you and he'll pick you up. I'm a triplet, got two sisters, five years old. Never forget. We're sledding. And uh, the way that we, my mother was actually pregnant with her fourth kid, uh, my brother, his name's Dan. He works here and he's cool. And um, he works with Burn. And... um, but she was pregnant with Dan and I'll never forget like uh, what we would do is we'd get on these inner tubes and it would be the three of us. It'd be David, Dana, and Didi and dad. And uh, dad would lay down, you know, on the inner tube. And then like we would all like, you know, kind of like climb on the inner tube and then we'd go down the mountain. And uh, in the mountains of Idaho, they're pretty big mountains, not, not as big as Colorado, obviously. But, but it was for five-year-olds then, you know, here it's kind of plush. You know, Colorado, this is kind of this is kind of rich people tubing and skiing. You know, in Idaho, it's just like, you know, is there, there's no rope toes. There's no ski lifts. It's just miserable. And so, um, but what we would do is, is, is uh, we would then, we'd go to the bottom of the mountain and then we'd, we'd hike up to the top of the hill. And uh, usually, you know, that was the real, it was take, you know, 25 seconds to go down. And then when you have three five-year-olds walking up the hill, you know, it's, it's a long process. And, uh, all three of us kind of had different responses in the way that we do it, you know. Um, uh, my sister Dana, she's kind of the uh, she's kind of the the strongest one. I mean, she's kind of the most fierce, and but she's kind of quiet. I mean, Deborah and I are both considerably considerably louder than her, um, uh, but she's kind of the, the strongest. And so, anyway, my my father tells the story often of how. Uh, we would begin to go up the, uh, go up the hill and, what, and we all kind of had different successes on the hill. And what Dana would do is Dana would just slowly kind of chip away at the hill and she would always quote, did you ever read the little book, The, the Little Engine That Could? 
Yeah, so she would do, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And she's a little five-year-old, a little girl, and she's just like going the slowest, but she's just like, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, all the way up the hill, which was the noble one, you know. She was the good one. And then, and then you had me, and where, where I was at was, I, I, would, I, would, I would go up the hill, and about halfway, I'd just be tired. Just be like, dude, trick this, man, I'm done, and I'm out. And I just sit down and the, the thought of sledding down was miserable because I'd gain, I'd come so far, I'd, I'd hiked so long and I wouldn't, I didn't want to go down. But at the same time, I was dead tired and there was no way I wanted to go to the top. And then you have my sister, Dee Dee. Dee's blonde hair. She's the one that, you know, has the uh, most enjoy life while you can personality. And, uh, what Dee what would do is she'd, she'd hike up six, seven steps, look down, see how much, how far she had to go and think, hey, we could have a good time right here. And she'd sit down on her butt and go seven feet down, slide down and then come up seven feet and she'd just spin like all afternoon right there at the bottom of the mountain. So Deborah, Dee Dee, this is both names actually. And so she'd spend the, the whole time at the bottom of the hill. David would go up, you know, it's about right here and then just stop. And I didn't want to waste my time, you know, sliding down, even though that looked fun, but because I didn't, I didn't want to lose the ground I'd taken. But there's no way I'm hiking any further either. Then you got Dane, you know, she's the little angel. And she's just the one, I think I can, I think I can. But the truth is, is that, you know what? The, the story that, the way that things turned out is that even though we'd go do this, my dad loves to tell, and he tells a story about how he liked to carry us all up the hill. And no matter how great Dana was, it was too, it was too, too far for her to actually climb. So what my father would do is he'd go down to the bottom of the mountain. He thought it was funny. And he'd pick up Deborah, you know, Dee Dee. And then he'd go halfway up and he'd pick up David and, and he'd, Dana, you know, 65% of the way there. And he'd pick her up and he took all of us to the top of the mountain. I think when I hear that, just that little story of being a little kid, I think of you guys, I think of where some of you are at. Some of you, you know, some of you are just like, Little Dana's, you know, you're just like, you know, taking all the vows, leading every group, you know, you're, you're godly, you're doing everything right. And the truth is, though, is the main thing for you to connect with, with the love of God, is that even with all of your greatness and all that you're doing, you can't make it to the top. It takes God to get you there. It takes your father and he loves and he smiles at every step you take. Don't stop that. Some of you are kind of like little David, halfway up. You're not, you're not hanging out at the bottom of the hill. But you've kind of stopped pursuing. You have, you've stopped pressing. You know, Paul says in Philippians 3, I press on to take hold of the goal, the prize. I press. You've stopped pressing. And you just kind of hang out. You're not doing anything bad. You're not drinking, you're not having sex with your girlfriend. You're just 
not necessarily pursuing God with everything either. You're not living in the power of his love. Some of you are kind of uh, little, little Debras, little Deedees at the bottom of the hill. And you're just having a good old time right down there. Oop, I tried this weekend. Ooh, bad again. And I tried this weekend. Ooh, bad again. But what, where we want to go is where you go, God, I, I believe that you are my father that loves me, that delights in me. And I surrender my whole life to you. I give you all. I want to live in your love on my good days, on my medium, mediocre days, and on my bad days. All of them. I want to live in your love. I want to live in your knowledge of it. I want to experience it. I want to know it. Luke 15. It's a famous story. It's the parable of the lost son. There's a statement that's made by... I'm not going to take the time to read the whole thing. I just want to get one verse out of this. But You know the story where the son goes and it says that he left his father's house and he went and spent the money in you know, wild living. And he's out you know, eating the pig's food. And it says when he came to his senses, he realized you know, how great it was back at his father's house. And he said, even my father's hired men have food to spare. You know, why don't I go back? I'll go back to my father. So he gets up and he goes back to his father and we'll pick up right there. Let's pick up in verse, let's pick up in uh, verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And here it is right here. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Friends, the core message that we get right here is we have a father He's running, he's hugging, he's in kissing, he's embracing, he's taking his boy and he's demonstrating to him, I love you and I delight in you. And the thing that's keeping the son away from the father is a misperception on how the father will respond to him. He's saying, surely he's gonna say, oh man, no way do I want you in my house. You're too pathetic. And so this lie begins to build in his head. Surely I can't go back. Surely I can't go look at him and say, take me back. Tell you what I'll do. I'll just say, make me like a hired hand. I won't be a son. I'll just be kind of a guy. I'll hang out in, the, I'll hang out in your house. I'll be a hired guy. But the father looks at him and he goes, no way. Bring the best robe. Put it on my son. The lie of the enemy is he wants you to believe that you're not worthy to be a son. Just be a hired hand. The way, though, that we live life extravagant on planet Earth, remaining connected to the vine, is that day in and day out, we get, he's the God that's running after me, that's hugging me, that's delighting in me. He's the one that even after the prodigal goes out and messes up big time, 
He's the father that goes, I'm pulling you out of the mess. I'm pulling you out of the pigsty. I'm pulling you out of cheating and lying. I'm pulling you out of wild, scandalous living. And I am the God. I am the father. Here, look at me. Here, no, no, don't. All right, lift your face. Stop saying you're not worthy. Stop saying, look at me. What do you see in my face? Do you see a God that wants to punch you? No. Do you see a God that's ticked off? No. Do you see a God that's just kind of distant? No. You see a God that goes, I love you. I delight you. Believe in my love. Believe it. And you don't deserve it. It's this idea right here. I'm no longer worthy. That's a true statement. Without God, I mean, we're host. Just logical. We don't deserve it. But it's the power of God's love that transcends what we think. It's the power of God's love that is supernatural. That goes day in and day out. He goes, I'm still delighting in you. I'm still loving you. And that's the thing that makes us so powerful. Because you can't figure it out with your peewee brain. I can't figure it out with my peewee brain. There's no way. It's massive. It's big. It's, it's, it's far bigger than we could ever comprehend. But that's where the power lies. The power of the love of God for you. The power over your heart, your life, your 17-year-old story, your 15-year-old journey, wherever you're at. Where we gotta get is where we, where we believe it, where we come before God. We say, God, I'm tempted to believe this lie, this lie, this lie, and this lie. Tell me, help me realize how you're the father that's liking me, that's loving me right now. Show me your truth. Let it live in me. I want my heart to be strangely warmed. I want to know love. I want to know true love. I want to believe it. Number one, you have to believe it. Number two, uh, you have to just receive it. You can't, you don't deserve it. So why, why do we spend all of our time, why do we spend so much time trying to earn it? Guys, just take it. Just, just, just woohoo, he loves me. Ha <laughs> ha. It's good. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 7. He goes, you know, you, even though you're evil, like to give good gifts to your children. How much more don't I, the perfect father, want to give good gifts to my children? I'm the, I'm the perfect father. You're kind of like, ooh, evil fathers. And you like to give good gifts. How much more? I mean, imagine that phrase, how much more? I know how much I love to give good gifts to my kids. I know it. I love it. We do a desperation tour. My kid loves Elmo. I buy him Elmo jammies. I, get, I love it. I got delight. And you know what? I go to Walmart. I buy Elmo jammies. I see him. His eyes light up. He goes, ah, Elmo jammies, Elmo jammies. He wears them every night. John Egan and I were uh, in the airport. And John Egan goes, I want to go buy something at this Disney store for my wife, Paige. He's not buying stuff for kids yet. It's still Paige. And so, and he wants to buy a gift for Paige. And I go, oh, good idea. I want to go to the Disney store and buy something for my, for my family too. I go in and I see Mickey Mouse. Now, my kid, Dawson, he always wants to climb up in my lap while I'm working on my laptop. And he wants to go to Disney, Disney.com and he wants to look at Mickey Mouse Club. That's his favorite thing. And so he likes that more than anything else. And so we'll sit there for a long time at, with him in my lap and we're looking at Mickey Mouse Club on the internet and that's his favorite thing. And, it, and it, you know, Miska, Muska, Mickey Mouse. I mean, that's what he likes. That's his favorite thing. And so, but he doesn't say Mickey Mouse. He says Mickey the Mouse. And so I see this Mickey... Well, actually, it's Mickey Dumbmouse. And 
And so I see this Mickey the Mouse. I get Mickey the Mouse. I bring it home to him. I'm getting pictures the next day. Dawson holding Mickey the Mouse, Renata's camera phone coming to me. And I got delight, man. I come home and Dawson's like, Daddy, Dad, Mickey the Mouse, Mickey the Mouse, Mickey the Mouse. I mean, he loves it. He sleeps with it. To this day, it's been two weeks. He, uh, he sleeps with Mickey the Mouse. He loves it. How much do I, being an evil father, being not perfect, take delight in that? Imagine the delight that the father takes in giving good gifts to you. Oh, he delights in it. He loves it. He loves to give you good gifts. What are the nature of those good gifts? He likes to give you his love when you repent. He likes to give you righteousness when you ask. He likes to take your bruised, broken heart and restore it and heal it. He wants to give you good gifts. And the number one thing we do is we go, no, surely I can't receive it. Surely I'm too messed up. Without a doubt, I've gone, I mean, if that guy's blown it, I've double blown it. And man, no way. God may like him, 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 her, and him, but surely not I. Not the preacher, not Jeremiah, not Brent, not John Egan, not Jared Newman, not just, the, not just the spiritual guys. You, in your own life, in God, right now. You go, yeah, but I don't deserve it. That's the point. If you did deserve it, it wouldn't be as exciting. The prodigal son is not about the prodigal son. The prodigal son is about the, it's about the loving father. They named it wrong. Everybody cross out. The, par- the parable of the lost son crosses out in your Bible and put the loving father. This son, there's nothing great about what this son, does, this son did. He, did what, he does what everybody does. He does what all of us do. There's nothing great about it. He's just going out and sinning <laughs> and coming to his senses. That's what we all do. The glory of this story is the father that goes, hey, there's the messed up kid. Hey, kill the fattened calf. Get a ring. Get a robe. What was my boy? I like that kid. Father, it's me. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm pathetic. I'm slug. I'm miserable. Shut up. Hey, we're going to party. Whoa, I like you. And what every time you come in here and you go to worship and you're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, tension, worship, and prayer. I know what I did this week. Satan's going, come on. You're no longer worthy to receive the love of God. You're no longer worthy to live at the Father's house. You're no longer worthy to eat at his table. Just hang out. Be a hired hand. Stop halfway up the mountain and just chill. But friends, where life comes and where victory comes and where joy comes, where the, it's his kindness, it's his affection, it's going to lead you to life and repentance. That's what's new every morning. His love is real every day. I mean, Romans 5, 6, while we were still sinners, while we were still just average, he died for you. While you were just you. I mean, just plain old boring you. While I was just plain old boring me, Christ died for us because he loves us so much. Doing my deal. Don't push it up. Just receive it. Just take it. Just go, it's mine. I take it. Sweet, it's mine. I take it. It's free. Ah. Anybody, any soccer players here? I was a good soccer player in the second grade. 
I was, I was really good. I was number three. When I was, when I was, when I was playing soccer, uh, I was the kid that was so good that they would save me until we were up by six goals and there was 30 seconds left. Then they put me in just to make sure we won, you know. And uh, I'll never forget, like, you know, like my sixth or seventh game I got in. And we, were up by, we were up by like tons of goals. We were winning big time. And uh, the other kids were wearing, you know, cleats, umbros, and, you know, looking cool while I was wearing not so cool. And I won't take the time to explain. It's embarrassing. I've done it before. But anyway, and so I'll never forget, you know, running down. We're going to, we're, going to, we're trying to, I was playing like forward and I was going to try to score. And we're running down and the, the, the coach's kid goes to kick it off goal and nobody likes the coach's kid. Everybody hates the coach's kid. You have to, it's just part of it. <laughs> coach's kid's a snot nosed brat. But anyway, and so he, the kid goes to kick it, goes off the side of his foot. I'm standing there <laughs> like a good soccer player. Huh? I'm standing there ball goes off my knee and ricochets into the goal glory to God <laughs> it was my only goal of the season but my parents my, my father was pretty excited about it and after the game you know my dad took me to McDonald's and we had church that night you know games like at 4 o'clock church is like at 7 he goes, uh, congratulations, your first goal, McDonald's. He goes, you can order anything you want. I go, anything? Now, you understand, I grew up triplet kid, pastor's kid. We did buy one 59-cent hamburger, split it three ways, and a water. And that's the way we did it, you know? And uh, he goes, no, whatever you want. I go, you got to be kidding me. He goes, no, 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 you can have whatever you want. I go, you mean like one of the pictures? And he goes, you can have one of the pictures. I looked at him and I said, no, 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 dad. <laughs> you don't understand. It wasn't really me. The ball just bounced off me and it was really, you should go buy the coach's kid a meal. <laughs> I'm just going to settle for a third of a hamburger and a water. Live over here in my pious corner and accept what I deserve. Yeah, sweet dad, I'll take number five. Can I order for my friends? Can I supersize that? Can I get anything more? I'm taking everything I can get right now because this is a great moment for me. <laughs> friends, a lot of the times what you do is you go, no, it's, I, I, I don't know. And God's going, no, no, no. I, wanna, I want you to have the best of the best. I, I want you to know my love and counter it. Even in your weakness, even in your mess, even in your mundane averageness, if that's a word, I'm not limited by Webster, but even in your boringness, even in your drabness, even in whatever it is your ness is, even in that, he goes, I want you to know my love. I want you to encounter it. Are you getting this tonight? Are you getting this? It's the love of God. It's for you. It's not a theory. You could spend two hours a day for the rest of your life praying, meditating, and reading the scriptures on the love of God, and you would never dent one half percent of the knowledge of the love of God. It's a sea that you could never even fathom. 
The one that though he was rich, he became poor, that through his poverty you could become rich, that you could rule and reign with him forever and ever, that you could sit with him on his throne. I mean, we have no idea that you, it says that you will have authority over the nations. I mean, you have no grid for the kind of love that it takes to take a sinner like us and put, give us that kind of authority. Oh man, we've got no grid. But you know what? The way that you're going to start to get some awe, some marvel, some wonder, some fascination, some wow in your heart is start to study it, start to pray it, add it to your, to your spiritual diet, spend time meditating on the love of God, open up the scriptures and find verses on it, search it out. Let me tell you one last Bible story and I'm done, I won't take the time, well, let's just go there, we'll go real fast. Everybody buckle up. Here we go. Uh, real fast. Here we go. You ready? Listen. It's okay. Everybody say, it's okay. You're going to be all right. We're, we're okay. Who said kill the devil? <laughs> kill the devil. That's right. Kill the clock. Second Samuel chapter 9. Sorry. I just, I love you guys. I'm having so much fun. I'm soaking this for all it's worth. Second Samuel chapter nine, last thing and we'll go. Now once you get this, David's the king. Are you with me? David's the king of Israel. All right. This guy named Mephibosheth. Great name, isn't it? Say Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. This guy Mephibosheth. This guy Mephibosheth. He's like, he's, he's actually the son of Saul. He's crippled. His nanny dropped him on his head and he became crippled as a baby. After he was crippled, uh, it was the rule, it was, the rule is when there a, new king, a new king came in, then he could annihilate the whole house of the former king so that there wasn't some kind of revolt against the new kingdom. So David, so you're dealing with a guy, he's crippled. His father was, his father was king and now David has the right to kill him. David has the right to get rid of him. And I want you to look at this. I'm just going to read the scriptures and we're done. 2 Samuel 9. David asks, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? Say kindness. For Jonathan's sake. Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They called him to appear before David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba, your servant? He replied. The king asked, is there no one still left of the house of of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness. Ziba answered the king, there is still the son of Jonathan. He is a crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Maker, son of Amil in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Maker, son of Amil. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. Mephibosheth, David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied, don't be afraid. The reason why I said don't be afraid is because Mephibosheth probably thought that this was death for him. That the king was probably saying, let's bring him in and he deserves death. It's my right as the king to annihilate the former house. Let's get rid of him. David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your, to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. I love that. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you would, should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. He says, I'm going to take care of all of your needs. And Mephibosheth, 
the one who deserves death, the one who's crippled, the one who calls himself a dead dog. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. That's our story, friends. We deserve death. We were broken. We thought our life was over. And the God of the ages reaches down and he says, hey, I love you. I like you. I'm with you. Bring the best robe, put it on my son. We go, I'm a dead dog. I'm a lame man in the presence of the king. I deserve death. No way. And he goes, hey, shut up, Fib. Lock eyes with me. I'm gonna have someone else work for you. What? I thought you were gonna kill me. No. Well, well, hey, you're gonna feast at the king's table. Though you deserve death, I'm not only gonna let you live, but you're gonna live like a king. You're gonna hang out in my palace. You're gonna eat at my table. Stop whining and acting like a pathetic dead dog because you're the son of the king now. That's your story. That's my story. Meditate on it. Find it in the word of God. Pray it. Pray it in the prayer meetings. Pray it, get to, er, get to tag early. Pray it, study it in the Bible before you go to school. Look up every single time that it talks about God's love and memorize it, highlight it by seven different highlighters. Mark it up. He loves me. He delights in me. I was a dead dog. And now look. I'm feasting at the king's table. That's a good way to live. You've just heard one of the speakers from Desperation, a ministry of New Life Church in Colorado Springs. For more information on becoming a Desperation intern, attending one of our conferences, or joining the Desperation National Network for local churches, visit us at desperationonline.com.